Hey, Tim. How's it going? Hey, David. It's going fantastic. The sun is shining up here in beautiful northern Alberta. The snow is melting. I don't have to go out and shovel the snow. So I think we're past second winter and on to third uh, fake spring fake spring or something like that. Uh, yeah. So I'm not looking forward to third winter, uh, which usually comes <laughs> towards the end of March. And uh, Apparently they just, just had a blizzard in Ottawa. Oh, man. All right. Well, What's anyone the temperature? deserves it. It's those... <laughs> the temperature here is like plus three degrees or something like that. So oh, really? It's yeah, it's yeah, positively nice. balmy for northern Alberta. Yeah, you know? I'm just glad that it's. It was. I've never experienced as loud thunder as I had here the last two days. Like it was shaking the house, and it was like yeah. some of the thunders would last like twenty to thirty seconds. It was Crazy. insane. Um, yeah, but you're probably nice. in tornado country too. I mean, Nashville just got hit. Oh, really? Yeah, it's kind of. There is something that looks like a like a bunker nearby, so maybe I'll go there. I don't yeah. know if it's a bunker, but it looks like one. I'll trust it just in case. Well, you walk into some kind of uh, cult in Alabama, yeah. maybe a clan meeting or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, you you could pass for a clan member. Yeah, although not if they do nose measurements. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, they don't like the they don't like the uh, the use use <laughs> um, them guys. All right, let's. I want to talk about Jordan Peterson, which oh. is it brings us. Um, you know, we're only about three to four years late, I guess, talking about him sure. from the hype. But I watched the rise of Jordan Peterson yesterday, so the movie or the documentary made about him. It wasn't very good. <laughs> but uh, and it wasn't much new information having you know sort of semi followed him since he started um but it was mildly interesting and it was the first thing it wasn't intended as like a you know be wary of jordan peterson but it was actually the first thing i've encountered that did kind of give me pause about what is his um you know you can't actually know someone's motivation but it's the first thing that gave, kind of gave me pause about it um, but I'm interested first in getting your just initial thoughts because we've talked about the Lost Boys a bit and how, you know, we have mentioned him a bit in the past about how it is good that someone's giving these people direction. So what are your thoughts on him generally or the movement that kind of grew around him? Yeah, well, I think that he is, um, he strikes me as incredibly brave, uh, intellectually honest. Uh, in that he, you know, when someone asks him a question, he thinks deeply about it and thinks out loud about it. You can, he kind of exposes his thought process mm. to you as he goes through it. Um, you know, I think a lot of his, a lot of his stuff is kind of, I, I don't know if it's over my head or if he's just so abstract that it's difficult to make sense of what he's saying sometimes, you know, like I remember him with, uh, on the Sam Harris podcast and they, they were talking about the truth. What, mm -hmm. what is the truth and what is reality kind of thing. And Peterson and Harris were kind of talking past each other, but Peter Harris was making a lot more sense in that conversation than Peterson who yeah. seemed to be warping the idea of truth into something that would allow for the existence of a, uh, of God or something like that. Yeah. You know? And, and so well, that he has was, said that, if something works, you might as well say it's true. Right. I've heard him say. Yeah. And he's a big fan of American pragmatism, 
right. uh, for example, that school of philosophy, right? And, and quite often, sometimes, you know, I know he rails against postmodernism, but sometimes I, I find his, his uh, you know, his claims to be somewhat postmodernist, like, mm-hmm. like the, the whole idea that truth is kind of relative and if it works, then it's true in and of itself, like you and I would say there's objective truth, right? Like there's, there's external reality and we might not be able to completely align our thoughts, our beliefs with that external reality, but we wouldn't, you know, so our our goal is to try to get our thoughts and our beliefs as close to, to mapping external reality as possible. Um, You know, and and so, you know, we, we see there as being truth there there's falsehood and there's truth and it's kind of you know a bit more black and white than i think peterson maybe sees the world mm-hmm. where you know but works it's true well you know I, i'm sympathetic to that to some degree it's like yeah i, I mean ultimately everything we, like we're, we're not seeing the world at full resolution we're only seeing a very narrow bandwidth of of the em spectrum we're not seeing things at the quantum level we have a very you know, we're not seeing reality, we're seeing our perception of reality. And so we have to operate within that. And we have, and so in that sense, we have to be kind of empiricists and say, okay, well, if it's working, is it good enough? Right? Well, okay, that there's something to that. But there's also some falsehood there. There's there's some weaknesses with that, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, monotheism or something like that might have worked, might work in, in some contexts, and be have some kind of evolutionary advantage over not having any religion or having atheism or something. Um, well, you know, yeah. And, and, but 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 then you see all the evil that's done when you take that to a dogmatic level um, mm-hmm. and start to project, you know, start to use that for power and different things like that. So, you know, I, I think that um, that the worry I have with Peterson's approach there is that you give up on being even better of getting, uh, getting closer, closer, closer to the truth. When you just say, right. well, this works, you know, we'll leave it at that, you know, Allah and the 72 virgins work. So, right. okay. We don't need to explore any further. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I have a, I, I have a slight objection to your, your, we don't see reality. We see the perception of reality, but that's another track to go down another time. Cause I think, what you're saying is basically that it, most of what you said, I agree with. And this idea that, um, you know, what is, what works is true, but it's what works in what context over what time, right? He's right. obsessed or he talks a lot about, you know, the Nazis and, and, you know, the communists. And it's like, well, within six months of their experiment, could they have said it's working within a year, right? right? At what, at what view, yeah. At what zoom out do you say, oh, this isn't working with like without reference yeah. to some objective standard? And I think that kind of ties into what I like I said, how this movie kind of made me a little alarmed at him because it really highlighted to me his obsession, his seeming obsession with those things. And then the same way it, it kind of highlighted a little bit that he uses or is in, enjoys some tactics that they use as well, right? The same way it's with postmodernism. Um, you know, he, he condemns it, but he's obsessed with it, and he then kind of absorbs it a little bit. And so it's, it was quite interesting to see, and in particular, just to keep my train of thought going, in particular, 
like his wife even said how he didn't seem plugged into the world until he became famous essentially and how he like feeds off of it and he seemed to really he's been so obsessed with power and it's made me think that he like his test for himself is can i have this power and not abuse it or something and so he's he's like feeding right. off of that struggle but it seems like it is a struggle and and hmm. yeah anyways that's just where my head's well, at, at the moment. It, yeah i mean i i could certainly see first of all as an academic someone who lives in the world of ideas and grapples with them and debates them in his own head and then debates them maybe with colleagues and students to suddenly have the world open up to you and have people coming at you with their, their challenges and their, you know, th- that would probably be pretty excited and, and spark some life in you, but also mm-hmm. would create a lot of stress, right? Like I remember shortly after he lost he, a lot uh, of weight. Well, yeah. And, and shortly after his, um, his like transgender thing, you know, I think it was in 2016 or something like that in the fall of 2016. I remember he yeah. he put out a, a new year's message and he was quite tearful. And I, I was, you know, he, he, you could fe- tell he was feeling things so deeply about what was going on and was so mm. concerned about things. And, and then he got all this popularity and he kept saying, well, there's, you know, I, I'm a, eventually something's going to happen. You know, like I'll say something, I don't know if this is sustainable, and um, yeah, you could tell it was a, a big worry on his mind constantly, right? And so, the idea that would he he would have a lot of anxiety, and that that uh, you know he'd be prescribed benzodiazepines for that anxiety or something like that is you know it, it doesn't surprise me uh, that he ran into these problems. But it surprises me a little bit, and this kind of factors into the other thing that was concerning from the movie is he said with everything that's gone on, he doesn't know how it's changed him which is alarming to me because I would want to know who I am. And in any situation, I'm confident I can mostly say who I am through that, right? Like, and it doesn't happen to everyone, but to someone who, one, was giving lots of people lots of advice beforehand as a psychologist, and two, who's giving, you know, millions of people advice now, you'd think that they'd have some semblance of an idea of who they are at the root. Um, Mm. And it actually highlights an issue I've had with him that is a similar issue I've had with the with Ayn Rand kind of, is that these are people who give lots of advice, yet when they had emotional issues themselves, weren't able to follow their own advice and, and they weren't able right. to stay calm. And I mean, Jordan Peterson, uh, you know, bear the suffering because he has a very kind of negative view of the nature of life, um, right, which right. I think is unfortunate. But like, yeah, it's it's really unfortunate that he is someone who is now suffering and going through this. But doesn't that say something about what he about his way of life that he cannot bear these burdens? He cannot cope with these things. But he's telling you, this is the way I know how to live life. You should follow me. Right. And yeah. it really well, I, I mean, makes I, I me maybe, pause. Right. I, I think I have a bit more of a charitable uh, perspective here when it comes to that, because, you know, I, I think we all have blind spots when it comes to ourselves and self-knowledge is very difficult. It's very difficult to be an independent observer of yourself. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that's kind of what's required to have self-knowledge and and understand what's going on. And, and this is the benefit of a therapist or someone else. Right. And so I can look at, at my wife, my kids, and I can see them suffering and I can, I can very clearly see patterns and see triggers and see, 
their thought process that's leading to that suffering and I can help them through it. But it's a lot more difficult to turn that mirror on myself, uh, especially when you're in the middle of suffering and in, yeah. em, employ that kind of objective third eye lens on yourself um, and, and look at yourself. So I think that you can, in other words, I guess what I'm saying is you can have value as a therapist or as a, a sage or as a, you know, as a father figure, let's say, mm. and, um, and still be uh, not good at self-knowledge yourself uh, to some degree. Um, but, Just, you know, to I some degree, I, I, I don't, I think that's valid to some degree, I suppose. Right. Maybe it's just I'm biased and it's kind of con, um, not conflating, but it's adding to the other issues I see with him, with his, let's call it philosophy of life. And it's like, it's, you know, it just kind of is a warning sign at least, right? Like I'm already not sure about this guy, but, you know, look at this right. as well. This is like, clearly he, his, he can't handle himself. I would think someone who preaches a certain thing would, I, I want to shift gears slightly to something you said about um, Sam Harris and his podcast and how you, maybe it's over your head. And I mean, I don't think things are over my head generally, but I think Jordan Peterson just kind of talks stream of consciousness and doesn't care to sure. kind of convert his language to words we would use let's say yeah. and so i find his method of communication not like suboptimal and and not good to be frank like i tried to read his book i couldn't even get through it so it, it Which to book, me map of meanings or 12 no rules? 12 rules for life it was just kind of rambling about you know it was it was i saw him live once and he was just kind of rambling on stage about like whatever he was thinking about and people loved it and, and there are reasons for that, but his book seemed like that as well, that he was just kind of writing stream of consciousness. Um, and so I don't, I've been told when I critiqued him that, oh, clearly I'm just an idiot and it's over my head, but I don't think that's the right. case. I think he purposely chooses to not care to communicate clearly is my impression. Yeah. Well, th that he could thinks be he's I so mean profound. Again, I have a charitable, I kind of take his, I think it's actually one of his rules that I assume I don't know as much as the the other person um, because okay, yeah. I think that leaves me open to try to understand their perspective. Like even, even someone, you know, if someone says Canada's broken right now because of this X, Y, I'm like, well, what do you mean by Canada? What do you mean by broken? Let me help, help me right. understand exactly what you're talking about. Like I, I won't just dismiss you right away for saying Canada's right. working or Canada's broken because I don't understand. You're talking in vagaries. You're talking in, you know, in abstractions. And I think Peterson does that a lot. He talks in abstractions and he might, it might take him an hour to unpack the abstraction. Uh, and quite often if you sit there and let him unpack it at, at a certain point, you're like, okay, I, I think I get what he's saying. Right. Now. And, um, but that's what I'm saying. I used to be the same way and I could talk for like an hour and a half about something until someone actually understood what I meant. But that's a flaw on my part, right? right. To not be able to communicate my thoughts clearly. And it seems yeah. like he maybe he's never had to before, but it seems like that is what comes across now. Not to yeah. like float my own boat and draw many parallels between him and I. But even when he's speaking, sometimes I see his, you can see his thought process and you can see 
he said in Q&As before, well, that'll take too much effort for me to mentally reach because my brain's in this train of thought. And you basically kind of just talk through until you access that piece. And so rather than, I mean, I used to be able to not even think in my head. I used to have to talk to get there. And so he seems quite similar. Yeah, well, you know, and there's something I kind of almost admire a little bit about a brain that does that thinks creatively like that, you mm-hmm. know, and he, there's something like he he's talked about Ayn Rand before and his criticism of her book is that it's not real. It's not as far as art goes, it's not great art, you know, and, and he kind of describes art as more of like the stream of consciousness where you're kind of opening yourself up and, and you're discovering an emergent property as you're creating it or something like that, rather than having kind of an end goal in mind, writing out an outline, having a syllogism and building everything as kind of an algorithm, right? That that's kind of how an engineer thinks, which is great. Um, right. And you and I think probably think more like engineers, like, you know, there's, but his stream of consciousness that seems like it's more, yeah, religious and, and Oh, like so I can speak in tongues and it's great art or I can just bang. Like if you want to write a symphony, you can't necessarily just sit and write a symphony stream of consciousness, whatever notes feel like coming out. And that's right. like, but I well, think you, his, you, you have to have a, a grasp of vocabulary, whether that's musical vocabulary or what you're talking about. You, I mean, it, it requires a lot of, um, I guess, knowledge and education and discipline to get to the point where you might want to get to the edge of chaos with your, with your consciousness, right? I mean, this is something I studied a little bit in my grad degree was the idea of what, what's the optimal mental state and how do you get there? Well, you get there with things like the attitude of gratitude. There's breathing exercise you can do, mm-hmm. get rid of those cortisol levels, put your mind in an op, in the best cognitive state possible uh, to deal with complex problems, right? And, and that is kind of was described by one researcher as your consciousness is poised on the edge of chaos where um it's just where ready different to op- yeah. where different options can emerge at any time yeah. and you can see them all and choose one right and mm-hmm. that to me is kind of what i was thinking about when peterson started talking about how art is produced right your consciousness is right there you you see the nature of reality but you are you're also keeping yourself open to all sorts of possibilities that might emerge almost seemingly randomly as choices that you can take with your writing or with your, whatever you're doing. And then, uh, you know, so, you know, that's kind of where my mind goes with it. Whereas, you know, if I were like doing what Ayn Rand was doing, she was doing something very different than art. She was trying to demonstrate a clear kind of algorithmic way of thinking starting with A is A and, you know, all, all yeah. this stuff and build that into a story that people could kind of grok these principles from, so, right? I don't necessarily agree about that's what Ayn Rand was doing, but I don't have enough expertise to actually speak to that. But I, I understand. No, but the, she, had, she had a purpose in writing. But her, her, she says her purpose was to show the ideal man not to like expose her philosophy. It was to show who John Galt is, right? And and that sort right. of thing. Um, but I agree, she did have a purpose. But I, 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 I do understand um, at least what you're saying, Jordan Peterson's view of art is in terms of like, and I've had that experience of like being on that kind of, 
yeah, that perfect mental state of the cusp, like the precipice between order and chaos, and you're just able to interact with the world right. and that kind of well, thing. Well, like, 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 for example, uh, with, uh, you know, he talks about Solzhenitsyn's, uh, the Brothers Kriminov, Krim, oh. or, or even the Gulag Archipelago, but I think more Brothers Kriminov, right? And he explains how, you know, Solzhenitsyn. That's Dostoevsky. Or, or, yeah, Dostoevsky. Brother, Brothers Karazimov. Karazimov, yeah. Something so, like that. so he was talking about how, you know, like he probably didn't have an outline for his book. He he had a general theme and um, kind of a conflict that he wanted to do. And then he inhabited these characters um, and, and really yeah. embodied them and lived them as he wrote this out. And the story kind of unfolded from almost like from first principles, but you, you didn't have a sense of where it would end up when you started so kind of thing. Right. I have two things uh, on that. One is that I think that contradicts what Jordan Peterson talked about why the Bible is so good, because in his Bible lecture series, he shows this graphic of how hyperlinked it is and how the story is not just like a flow. It's all interconnected. And so you can't do that if you're just kind of stream of consciousness or like kind of embodying the story and moving forward. So I think well, that, I don't know about that. I, I, I think that I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think that, um, you know, he looks at, at, well, I mean, he, he has kind of a Joseph Campbell view of stories and myths, right? They follow the same archetype, um, mm. you know, all, this, all the myths or stories that sync with us. I mean, Star Wars follows the same trajectory, right. like, all, like the, six, all, the, all the classics. There kind are of six follow. stories or whatever. Right, and there are there's certain archetypes and um, young, you know, it's built on Young's work and all this stuff. And so I think what he does is he he sees how successful the Bible was and he pulls out these themes and these archetypes and these narratives that are kind of in some sense eternal in that these are the things that resonate with humans, you know, that the actual details, did a snake talk, did a donkey talk, did magic happen are kind of irrelevant to, are irrelevant to him, but you know, it's the the theme and what the story is trying to say. Right. And the interconnectedness that I think is, and and so you could say, look, look I mean, these if it's these a whole bo- package, right? Right, but these these books, you have to understand, were not they were not written together. Like, I don't think that's what he's saying either, right? That they were written as like the Bible isn't one book; it's a whole bunch of books yeah. that were, were canonized by kind of committee by people who were praying and putting themselves in mental states or whatever and trying to figure out. You know, and yeah. and so I, I think it's no accident that these are the particular books that ended up together because they're so complementary and could be said to be interconnected in a way. Whereas maybe this but they book, weren't necessarily you know, like, written that way, like the Gospel of Thomas or something, where Jesus is kind of portrayed as a, a an impish, practical joker using his magic to kind of okay, that wasn't included in there because it didn't fit the archetype of right. uh, you know, and it's not that these people had some kind of conscious. Um, purposeful thing but they just recognize that that thing wouldn't fit into what they were trying to build or something i don't know okay i have one more point on art and then i have one more last point generally i think that i just want to get your opinion on but the last point on art or his alleged view of art right is it seems to match his like his view of truth generally right if we're just living life and whatever works that's true and that's good and so if i'm just in the proper state whatever i write that's art and that's good right so it's just kind of like if I'm, if I can attain the perfect mental state, whatever comes out of it 
is good, right? And I think mm. that is kind of a religious view generally. If I'm with God in a really true, like it's embodied, I'm that sense, then whatever happens is what's supposed to happen or is good. So I see a parallel between the view of art that you've mentioned yeah. and the view of And to be clear, generally. I don't know if that's what Peterson's saying, and I don't think that's exactly what I'm saying either. Uh, but but it's but sort of that kind of more stream of, yeah. Anyways, the last thing I wanted to get your thoughts on that kind of popped out at me about uh, him and from the movie in particular, it's again, contrasting it with myself. Um, so he mentions like, you know, clean up your room, right? And he, he talks about how if your room is a mess or your house is a mess and you're a hoarder, you could also kind of say your psyche is that, right? Like your environment right. represents your um, your mind. And I very much resonate with that. When I was in like a really bad space, generally my room had like no empty wall space because I was such an anxious mess that I had like posters and pictures covering basically every square inch of my wall. It was overwhelming for my friends even to come into my bedroom. Um, And that was the space I created. And then they show Jordan Peterson's house and it is just coded wall to wall in paintings and pictures. And, and it's so it's as if he has Hmm. these obsessions and his mind is so crowded like there's no right. empty space in his house. So it was really yeah, yeah. like to see into his home and to see how cluttered it is to me by his own rules shows a bit. And by my experience shows a bit of the state of his mind. And in particular, the things, if it's like a lot of bunch of Stalin pictures and these sorts of things, right. that was quite uh, oh, jarring that's... to me to hmm. see. That's interesting. Yeah. And that, that, you could see that in, in his talks too, where he spends an hour or two and you're not quite sure what he said. He went on multiple tangents and tried to tried to meld so many abstract concepts together and try to link them together that it takes all his brain power to do. Right. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. incredibly difficult. And yeah, I mean, you know, to me the the, like there's a smart Twain quote. I, I, I like it, which is, uh, I, I don't have time to write you a short note, so I'm writing you a long one. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah, the, the the tricky part, the hardest part of writing or of thinking is to edit down your yeah. and again be succinct and concise and and communicate in a way that is explanatory. And it's not just for your audience; it's for you as well. Like mm-hmm. to be able to to encapsulate what you said in as few words as possible is really important. Um, you know, otherwise you're right. I think that, um, we, we become very confused and anxious and, you know, and so, yeah, maybe that has something to do with Peterson's, um, mental health struggles, but, you know, I see this in people all the time when they start, start thinking that abstract concepts like the state or, um, you know, when they talk about the nation as something that acts as an, like an individual would act. And then mm. they start going on all, off on all these tangents related to that false underlying assumption. Yeah. Um, and and it, they, they start developing this kind of sophistry that's very sophisticated, very nuanced, but it all comes down to they got one little detail wrong and that is the nation state isn't a person and can't be a person. And it's just an abstraction, a non-corporeal entity that can be defined a thousand different ways. And is it defined differently by every single person that uses the term nation? Um, like it's like God, like every single person's God is different than the next right, person. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, yeah. So, so it creates a, this confused kind of uh, sophisticated 
thinking when you pile everything on top. Now that the trick that, you know, we learn in objectivism is to whittle things down to, to like check your assumptions, Yeah, Try, check your assumptions. Like at the very base of all your thinking is some underlying assumption and that self-knowledge and reflection and looking at what your assumptions are is super important for everything else. And so you can build this fantastic tapestry and world that's interconnected and complicated and jumbled and confused uh, and try to make sense of it um, based on one <laughs> false assumption. Right. And so yeah. um, that first principle is all important and it, whittling things down to that is, is super helpful. I'm reading a bit of history of modern philosophy or not modern philosophy, but I don't know, enlightenment philosophy. And it's interesting the the historian calls out how like they built this whole system trying to disprove, but they didn't question the fundamental assumption of the prior system they were trying to disprove. They just took that for granted still. Right. right, right. So it's been interesting to kind of see the the different thinkers and how they some can actually get under that uh, you know, societal ether that they just take as an assumption. Yeah. And some can't. And I think I'm interested for in the future when when people can properly understand Jordan Peterson's philosophy and see what he's missing because I obviously disagree with his you know premises and his conclusions um but I don't have the ability at the moment at least to really unpack it fully and understand what he's getting wrong um but yeah, I mean well I, but by yeah, his, I mean by his view even though he might be getting some stuff wrong, it's still good and true because it's working for so many people. But right. I used to hold that about religion generally, like the people I know with more of a religious background are happier than the people completely lost. But I've shifted in that view that no, but the people with a religious background can never actually get to the truth. So at least the people who are lost could be found properly, let's right. say, right? right? Yeah. And you know, that's, uh, yeah, I guess that I'm still open, but I see where you're coming from with Peterson because it seems like everything, you know, all these tangents he goes on are trying to grasp what what is God. I don't think he even knows what he means when he says God, or that he acts as if God is real. Yeah, you know, and and so he's going down all these rabbit holes trying to figure out and trying to, you know, and. Yeah, I mean, if, I, yeah. but if, I, I want to leave myself open to thinking that, you know, and that this guy's thinking at a much higher level, that he's addressed all my concerns somehow in his writings and his thinking, and um, and there's something to it, but I, I, I don't grok it, but, so. Yeah, your, but your evidence thus far doesn't lead you to believe that directly, because you... No. You can't grasp it. And, and so I think... No, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, I see what happens to most atheists, right? Most people who are like, the person in the sky using magic as if, uh, you know, but then they have no problem worshipping the state. And, you know, I yeah. call them statheists. But, right. uh, you know, they. it seems like there is... Like, I, I would rather someone be a Christian than a statheist, you know, because... Um, that's least, a, that's interesting. That'll be a whole episode we should do. Yeah, actually, it's sure. That's better a Christian or a statheist. Stay tuned for yeah. that one. But oh, I appreciate you helping me unpack this a bit. I like he's an interesting character, and I think he's particularly unique to the times of this kind of pseudo religion. He he finds interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. 
Thank you, David.